Welcome to LeapCast. I'm your host, Dr. George James. LEAP stands for leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers. And I'm on a journey to connect with high achievers and highlight their unexamined human moments. Tune in to learn how these high-achieving LEAP individuals were able to reach their greatest potential, face their most difficult challenges, and embrace the human moments that helped them along the way. If you want to get the episode highlights directly in your email, then head to theleapcasts.com right now to subscribe. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to LeapCast, where we talk to leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers. And you know I was excited, and I am super excited right now for my guest, Michaela Apira. If I'm saying your last name right, I probably might not. It's all good, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I just know she's just awesome. You know, I have these amazing friends, and Michaela and I uh, got a chance to really get to know each other, I think, in the past year, year and a half. Maybe even two years, right? I know. It feels the pandemic kind of messed up our timelines on things. So I don't don't know know. when it was, but it feels like we've been friends a long time. I think that's the thing that I, so many things I love about you. One of the things is that, you know, being on air, being, you know, in the studio, I've worked with different, you know, hosts, personalities, anchors. And you just have this way of making everybody feel like they're home. Like you're just hanging out with them. And I just love that. So this is my way of introducing my amazing friend, Michaela. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you, first of all? The joy is absolutely mine, George. This is, I don't know, what I've been really relishing the last little while since I left KTTV, Good Day LA, in September. I have been really savoring reconnecting with friends. and. Nice spending one-on-one time with them because you know how it is like life gets in the way and you've got to get here and you got to get there and the to-do list gets longer. And then, you know, there's laundry, Yeah, (laughs) you know, like real stuff, right. And it feels like you're always making these plans to like, let's get together. Let's get together. I'm trying to be about it and not just talk about it. So this is giving me that opportunity too to hang out with you. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, it's interesting. Just the other day I had a this conversation about the practice of being instead mm. of doing. I'm definitely a doer. I'm like, I'm ambitious. I'm trying to do a lot and sometimes just chilling, just, sit, yeah. you know, sitting down and some folks go sat down somewhere, right? Yeah. Like just relax. We it just be need hard. to sit down sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That Look, I think we have really kind of slid into this grind culture, yep. right? And The problem with it is that I see we don't also allow ourselves, I don't mind grind, but you also have to do the flip side of it. Because otherwise, if your foot is on the accelerator constantly, you're going to burn out that engine. Real quick. And we don't even realize it. And, you know, just in what I've seen, I know you've seen it, where people burn out that engine and they don't know it. And then they're significant places and moments in their life. They're in high school, they're in college, they're right. midlife Way crisis. Way too young to be burning out. <laughs> <laughs> Just started, you know, in these. So we like to start, I love the, the, but I love to start by sharing what we call, what I call your leap story. So if you can just kind of start journey, you know, like early years in life, like, you know, what paths you took, what did you explore? maybe even family stuff, wherever you want to go. But we'd love to just hear your, your early journeys. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because my life has been a series of leaps. 
Mm-hmm. It has been. Dr. George, you know, I think about, I've been spending a lot of time reflecting. I think a lot of us had that opportunity during the pandemic, right? Because you're alone with your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that was too much. But I've been, uh, I've had a chance to be quiet, be in silence. I've nice. been meditating. I've been working in the garden. I've been, you know, cleaning up the house. And, nice. and in those times of working, because I'm a, I'm a Virgo and I'm also like you, I'm a worker. It allows my mind to go to those places and to reflect. I don't even know which leap to tell you about because there's been so many. Well, start early. So go, go. I mean, you know, you don't have to say like baby, but like, you know, early. What were those things that shaped you, your life, your career? Your you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. I tell people all the time and it may sound corny, but OK, so I'm corny. Yeah. Real talk. If when you first meet me out in the world at a party at a friend's house, you will quickly learn in an airport. I will talk to you. You'll learn two things about me, that I'm Canadian and that I'm adopted. Yes. I feel intensely proud Mm. of both of those parts of me. Awesome. And I think both of those things have greatly informed who I am. Yeah. I've been shaped by both of those experiences. So my family is, it's a beautiful complicated like every family is (laughs) but it was formed through adoption my parents adopted five little girls at a time when that was not a popular thing to do they adopted outside of their race my parents are both caucasian my sisters are all indigenous i am a biracial black child and it was incredibly unpopular at that time and i mean not necessarily meaning unpopular but people thought they were crazy oh yeah they probably did they literally wondered what was wrong with my folks. <laughs> but I know them and I revere and respect and admire and love them. I'll cut you if you try to say a word against my parents. <laughs> I am. Don't you talk about my mom. Don't you talk about my mom or my daddy. I have learned that they have truly led purpose driven lives. Yeah. They felt compelled. My father was working as a social worker. My mother was a primary school teacher. And adoption came to them, you know, and they kind of started on that voyage without meaning to necessarily. It wasn't their intention. And then they kept going with it. And I, you know, I often, like every kid, you think your family's so mortifying and so embarrassing. I don't want anybody to know my, I don't want to see my parents. I felt that, but in a different way. Because we just didn't look like every other family. Yeah. You know, we're in the plains of Canada in these small towns. Ain't nobody's family look like my family. <laughs> and we got stared at all the time. And, people and you're not exaggerating. You're really like, no oh, other no. family look no, like No, this is not an exaggeration. Think about it. So the towns that we lived in were white. And then they had indigenous populations. So my sisters blended in. But that came with a whole other you know, being indigenous in Canada, I am in the midst of listening to this terrific, terrific and very, very, very painful podcast called Cooper Island. And it's about the residential schools on an island off the coast of British Columbia, where my family lives, and the children who died there, the children who were abused there by the Catholic Church, by the by nuns and fathers in the Catholic Church. And it is a painful reckoning, and I'm so glad that it is happening. But that, think about that. My sisters 
being Indigenous in Canada, growing up in a place that had not recognized their wholeness and humanity, right? And this was at a time we didn't have even some of these words. So they grew up under the shadow of all that. I didn't because I was sort of a curiosity. Who's this little curly haired brown kid? Like, what's her story? <laughs> and my parents dealt with it always with humor. I remember, can I tell a story about of my mom? Of course, this is what this is about. So I tell this story often because I just think it shows you, it shows you who my parents are mm-hmm. and how you can handle, you know, you can handle ignorance with grace. So my father moved us around a, probably every year he would get promoted and we'd move to a different community, usually another small town. And I remember, I can't even remember the town we moved to, but we had started going to church. So we file into the pew. We took up a whole pew because there were seven of us, right? Into the pew. And of course, there's always like one busybody in the church. You know who I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> I don't have an idea. We, we name names, but we know there's always one or two. Sometimes I got a friend, usually right. female. And she, you know, sidles up to my mother and sort of with that little face, like, oh, Ainsley, that's my mom's name, Ainsley. Yeah. This is, and sort of points at the family and all of us and is like, this is interesting. How does all of this work? And my mother knew what she was trying to do. Of course. She just looked at her and said, oh, it's easy. My children all have different fathers. <laughs> In church. In church. I died. I oh, died. But I also, literally, I was. I think I was 15 at the time, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm it. But at the same time, there was something in me, and to this day, I just, I'm like, "Yes, yeah." Because what did it do, Doctor Georgie? It put her in her place, but it also showed us there's nothing to be ashamed about yeah. in our origin story. We shouldn't be shameful. We shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't be embarrassed. My mom always used words like chose, I chose you, you're mine. You know what I mean? It was never, you know, your parents didn't want you. It was never that. It's all about the language you choose. So that to me, that was super formative. No, one, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, so many things that you said that I just love. And I'll start with where you just ended with your mother saying they just all have different fathers, right? And some level, right? I love the humor. But it's yeah. also like, if you're going to gossip, if you're going to share on, some rumors, let it be about me. Yeah. Leave my kids out of it. Kid. Leave my kids out your mouth. Right. Yeah, sometimes she would, she would do this often because it often would happen. And sometimes other times when she was feeling more sassy, she just straight out say, I sleep around, which would be just <laughs> like, my dad be just like, he would always just kind of chuckle like, oh, you got him good. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, it, 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 you know, I've learned a lot and I wish I could be more like her that way. I wish that I could always have like a, a witty rejoinder in my back pocket to come back at people when they say, cause people, you know, and I, and I try to give people grace. People say stuff. You know, I remember for a long time when I first moved to the States, you know, I moved to California when I was 27 years old. Right. Wow. Another big leap. Yeah. And I remember landing in San Francisco and I didn't have a car because it's too damn expensive to drive a yes. car in San Francisco. So I took the bus, I walked, I took the train, I took cabs. I took cabs a lot to like work stuff. And so I got to know some of these cabbies pretty well, really well-read dudes. They always are reading the news. They can tell you the stories and they have such interesting backstories. But sometimes like I would get real tired of the fact they'd be like, what are you? Yeah. What are you? If you're asking about my ethnicity, I'm happy to share my story, but what are you? 
Like yeah. words matter. Words matter. You know. Yeah, and you know, you highlight something. You know, and these words that you know throughout my journey, I had to learn what they were really saying and the undercurrent with some of the language that we use. Mm-hmm. Right, like where people would say, "Oh, you look exotic." exotic you know, i'm not a coded, I'm not an animal. language right there like right like the, the ways that people would say things are like oh I, I don't know what to call you like that's not how you one approach me or that's not so basically how you're you trying engage. to figure out how to label me yeah is that yeah. what you're trying to say yeah and put me in a box you know and so you know, or pres- here's my other favorite you're so articulate yeah, it I, feels I, like I dot 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 for what yeah like yeah so articulate for for you that i'm supposed to be or not mm-hmm. be mm-hmm you know and i'm glad that obviously you've had to deal with that and you've pushed back and figured a way how to manage or respond to them sometimes right sometimes i am all for grace and i think that grace is needed in most situations yes but sometimes i don't want to be graceful no (laughs) real talk though real talk sometimes i just want to say you know my mom taught me early on about discernment and the idea of discerning and gleaning and and sort of interpreting what is called for in a moment, right? And sometimes I have to discern, is grace the best course of action here? And sometimes it is a situation where you do have to have your spine fully straight and just push back. Sometimes it is. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't. (laughs) So I'm I'm curious with, you know, the dynamic that you said, one, what number in the sibling order are you? Okay, so here's where it gets fancy. So, okay, so they call us the original five. That's what my dad call us. And I'm, so it went like, I'll go this way. So first came my eldest sister, Darlene, and she was four. She was the very first one to come to the family. That same year I came, I was three months old. I was the only baby, uh, only child adopted as an infant. And I came around Christmas time. I can make my mom cry by singing this one Christmas song because it always makes her think, and it's so cruel. It's so mean, but it's, you know how you always have family dynamic. I always, I'm like, mom, do you remember that Christmas? And she just gets all teary eyed. It's very sweet. So I love you, mom. So Darlene, then me. And then Sheila came, I want to say two or three years later, she was five. She had quite a voyage through, through foster care. And then we were, it was the three of us with mom and dad for a good while. It wasn't until I was 10. So I was the youngest yeah. for, for like for a long time. And then I was so excited because two more girls joined our family and their sisters, their siblings, they're two years apart. And I was kind of like smack dab between them. And so that meant I was no longer the youngest. And I was so excited because she had long hair and I would just sit and braid her hair all the time. That's all I was doing. He's like, oh, I got a little sister that I was there I can braid. That's right. So then it was the five of us. Now, because my parents are who they are, they have been really great about supporting all of us through finding family, right? So all of my sisters and I, in some way or other, have made connection with some parts of our birth family. Oh, wow. And some of those people are sort of just a part of our greater constellation of our family. For example, I found my birth, my half sister. I don't believe in halves. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, my sister. Yeah. I found my sister on my mom's side, and she and I'm her older sister. So I get to be an older sister again. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, in twenty almost thirty years ago, I brought home two sisters I'd met 
from Mozambique and they had immigrated to Canada and we fell in love and they are now part of our family. My dad will tell you that he has, you know, seven daughters. You know what I mean? Like they are, even though they were grown, they are absolutely part of our family. And then on top of that, so I found my birth mother two years ago, just before the pandemic, three years ago, just before the pandemic, I found on my birth father's side of the family, I found aunties, uncles, and cousins and connected with them. So my family, it's an embarrassment of riches. It's an embarrassment of riches. And sometimes I just sit here and my heart just like feels like it's going to implode from just how much joy and love I feel. I've been blessed so amply with family and uh, it makes the Christmas card list a challenge. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate how I'm hearing this. What I think you're, there's been a lot of talk about the reconstruction of family or redefining Mm -hmm. of family. And oftentimes I think that's to, explore that family doesn't always mean mother and father, that a family could mean father, father, mother, mother. But I don't think that what in that redefinition that we talk about what you're talking about, that we thought of that family is expansive. Family is not always DNA, blood. Family is about who we choose, but even more so choose and, and develop and then integrate from birth family to family that you've been connected to. And now we all operate together. Like that is a part that at least I'm hearing the thought of like, it wasn't like, okay, yeah, those people over there or those people over there. And maybe there could be some of that, but the thought of, for the most part, we've been able to integrate all parts of you from your Mm -hmm. birth family to the family that we've created, the family that we've chosen, and we are all family. And I think that is just awesome. Well, again, I think it was a concept introduced to me by my parents, really this notion that family isn't solely defined by that blood connection. Early on that was formed and then built on. I love that they gave me that expansive definition of family and I've kind of run with it. I have a brother from another mother, Michael, who I met some 30 years ago as well, who is the brother of my soul, but we're not related by blood, but we share a common bond. You know, I have my play sisters who live out in Vegas that, you know, they literally are their sisters to my soul. And, you know, it to me, I think people get, you know, sometimes people have tried to correct me. They're like, well, they're not your real sister. What does real and not real mean? That's why I kind of shun this idea of half sisters and half cousins. No, a cousin's a cousin, a (laughs) sister's a sister, an auntie's an auntie. Like, bring it as far as I'm concerned. And sometimes, I mean, you you can find an auntie that could really be an auntie, like really in your life and be so impactful. And, you know, for me, I grew up as an only child, you know, Ooh. with parents from Jamaica. I was the only child. Wagwan. <laughs> right? A Jamaican I, brother. That's right. And I adopted my friends, right? Folks that yeah. I either went to church with or connected to. That yeah. those friends were my brothers, right? We shared life yeah. and experiences that were, you couldn't tell me differently. I care for them to this day in that of way. Course. And then, you know, later in life, I learned that I have a sister, right? And I'm like, oh, I have a sister, right? And so integrated. And so you couldn't tell me for the way I love and care for my sister. Yeah. It's not different than the way that I care for my brothers that I gained through life and life experiences. So 
I really appreciate how your life has, you know, allowed that experience and expansion for you. It has been so life affirming. You know, it really has. It also makes me, you know, there's a long time and I don't know if any adoptees will will relate to this. I'm sure they will because I think it's a common thread through the lives of many adult adoptees is that there a sense that you lack permanency, right? Mm-hmm. That you were somehow a cosmic error, a mistake that nobody wants. You know, there's all these themes, right? You were rejected. You weren't enough. You weren't, you know, and we, look, I've been unpacking those with my therapists mm-hmm. <laughs> over the years yeah. to really get at the root of, of what's behind all of that. But those are, those are really common themes. And so for me to now feel and to really be like, I've been very open. I told you at the outset, I'll say, yeah. talk about being yeah. Canadian. I'll talk about adopting. Yeah. I'm very open about it all. And I kind of, it's not that I force it into conversations, but when there's an opening, I'll run with it for a reason. It is time we threw off forever the shackle of shame about adoption yeah. and how families are formed and about foster care and all of that. It is time. It is well past time. Yeah. And so I'm trying to live that example in my life. And I'm trying to heal as I go by talking about it, be open about it, being an open book, sharing about it. And one of the things that I've shared, and I'll share again with you here, is because I think it's, I'm still sort of unpacking it, is when I met my birth sister, I found a piece of me I didn't know was missing, right? Yeah. Because I didn't know about her. I didn't Mm -hmm. know about her well into my, I don't think I knew about her well into my 30s, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And it took us a while. It wasn't until my 40th birthday that we met. And it was really, it was profound when I tell you. It was profound. Uh, we both felt it. And we feel it to this day. And we're still very mm-hmm. close. When I met my Jamaican family, and think about it, and I know you get this. It was different because this has always been a portion of me that has been cut off. Mm-hmm. And it's the most visible part of me that everybody else sees. Yeah. But it's what I have the least context, information, understanding, connection to. So meeting them, I mean, I was a puddle of tears. You can imagine I was a mess. But it was so healing. And it was so, if I, I'm a very visual person, mm-hmm. I imagined it was the final yes. puzzle piece that was connected. And suddenly Michaela was a full human being, right? Like if you're writing this, like yeah. the, the comic strip about this, like, but not to be glib, but like, it really was real. I felt it in my soul. I yeah. used to tell up and coming broadcasters, anybody that was learning how to become a public speaker, that a trick that I've used when walking into a room of people I don't know, and I'm intimidated and I'm a little stressed about speaking in front of all these strangers is to close my eyes, to close your eyes and imagine your ancestors at your flank. Imagine them there. I have never been able to do that fully. Of course. Until now. They had always been in shadow. And now they came out of the shadow into the light. And now when I go, I know I've got them. They've always been there, but now I feel connected to them. And it is... It has changed things for me profoundly. It has to. And, you know, what you're saying, when you talk about that final piece, I think the journey that sometimes we go that we try to to take random pieces and fit it in, and it right. doesn't fit. Right. 
Right. Random people, I'm doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles these days. I've got one on my thing. You cannot fit a piece that isn't meant to be there right. in. You can't. You it can't. might look like it. It might almost have the colors. The shit. It doesn't fit. And then doesn't when you fit. have that piece, you know what you're talking about. I've heard so many people say that in lots of different settings. I've heard folks who were born in folks of color, black folks of color, African-Americans from this country, when they might go to yes. a country in Africa, like Ghana yes. or Nigeria, somewhere yes. like that. And they're like, wow, that piece or someone maybe of Jewish heritage, and they go yes. back and, and go through those experiences, that what, there's a way of saying, connecting to your heritage, your ancestry, yeah. your, the people. I belong. Yes. I belong. Look, I think, I think that's one of our major, I just had this like light bulb going over my head, because now I've got an idea for something. But I, awesome. just this notion of, it's something that I have, and by the way, I think it would be a surprise to many people that maybe have watched me on TV all these years to think that that's something that I've struggled with. But I'll be real. Yeah. This, I, this notion that I am enough and that I belong has always been present. Yeah. And I don't think I am alone. In no. fact, I think that most of us, I mean, there's a lot of talk about imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Not feeling like you're good enough, you're cool enough, you're smart enough, you're pretty enough, you're thin enough. You're fast enough, you're athletic enough, you're strong enough, whatever. The I'm not enough. Fill in the blank that fits for you. And the fact is, we are and we do. It's our voyage to connect to when we realize that we do. That's the key, right? Yeah. You know, you, you made me think about the scene in the first Black Panther where he is has to fight for, to become king, right? Yes. And, and you have all the tribes, right, all behind him, all the, you know, up on the mountain, all different backgrounds, looks, dialects, everything, but all the ancestries right there. And what I was envisioning, actually, what you were saying, not only did you have the final piece that allowed you to have this ancestry there, but then because of the fact that had chose you, now you, I could imagine that they're also like right there, like surrounding you. So like They've you close your eyes. Been. The circle closes, right? Yeah. Like it all just comes. Right. And that they're right there. And yeah. to know that like, yeah, that you belong. Of course you belong. And this is the, what you bring into the world and what you get to share with the world is all these pieces of you. And so, so that imagery is just so powerful. And I'm so you glad. Know, it really, you, you know, and another piece of it is too, is that, you know, I've said that to friends. Of course you belong, of course. But if a person doesn't feel yeah, exactly. it, yeah. right? If a person doesn't feel it, if a person doesn't feel that they're not alone, if they, or that they, you know, there's so many people struggling with depression yeah. right now. There's so many people struggling with all of these mental health issues. And I know that some of the pieces of that, and you, you deal with it all the time, is that understanding and the true belief that you are enough and that you do belong, but you can't get there yeah. until you get there, right? You can't. And it's such a, you know, obviously in doing the work, I see people and, and hear people share these stories. But when it hits for me is, you know, of course, I've had those thoughts and feelings too. Am I good <laughs> enough? Am I there? You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decisions as I make new decisions? Some of it being scary and exciting. And one of the things that I've, you know, I've been telling people in this talk that I give, and I've been fortunate to give it, you know, all over, it's called, I give myself permission, right? And this yeah. thought of, it's okay to give yourself permission to recognize that I am good, I am, I belong. And then sometimes we don't give ourselves that permission. We let other people take it away from us or yeah. other situations. Yeah. And, but one of the things for me has been 
looking at a young person and in particular looking at my children and when they might feel one of those things, I'm not smart enough or I'm not this. And yet I see them with just such amazing, like everything, the talent and all that. And no, no matter what I do, I might get them to a better place. But like you said, it's not until they see it or they feel it. Does it really? By the way, don't let that ever stop you from telling them. Right. All of us need to surround like, look, children aren't raised only by their parents. It's the you talk about those tribes coming together. All of us are part. That's what society is. Right. And so it is. It's important for us to be that living, breathing reminder to each other. Totally agree. So I love everything that you're sharing and this journey that you've been on in your life and how you've connected in so many different ways. I'm curious, like, how did this intersect with you and even professional? Like, you know, you like being in San Francisco, 27, you know, being in Canada you know, in your early years. Like, how did being a journalist, media personality, how did that come into play? You know, it's interesting. I, it all makes sense, right? Like, when you look at it, it's yeah. like anything. When you set out on a voyage, it feels random and like you're probably taking steps backwards and like, are we lost? Anybody uh, want to raise their hand? Because I'm right there. Come right, on. Right. And then when you get there, you look back and you're like, oh, actually, OK, <laughs> all of those steps made sense. Look, yeah. I found I think I have it here somewhere. I was I've just been organizing my desk space and, and going through paperwork and doing some of those things that you never get a moment to do. And I'm, I'm actually really relishing them. I found in fact, I think I have it right here. I found a newspaper article from my elementary school that I wrote. My girlfriend and I were the newspaper reporters for our school. And the local paper would print this little weekly column about the happenings at our elementary school. Now look, there's some nepotism here. I wrote about my sister and my mom, who's a teacher at the school. So look, I I had some journalistic. You get in uh, where you can. I get (laughs) But my point in showing you that and telling the story is that it all makes sense. There was a path that was leading me there. But if you had asked me in high school, I remember being so filled with anxiety, graduating from high school. After I graduated from high school, I spent a year abroad in Brazil as an exchange student, part of the Rotary Exchange Program, which was brilliant. And it was just incredibly life-changing. I've had a lot of life-changing moments. But when I got back, I remember just being so anxious. And even my senior year in, in high school, being so anxious, it seemed like everybody else had planned. They knew yeah. I'm going to be a police <laughs> officer, so I'm going to study, you know, uh, yep. criminology. I'm going to be a nurse. So I'm going to nursing school. I'm going to have no clue. I'm, I'm going to study kinesiology. And I was like, I, I knew I was going to college, but I just didn't know. I didn't have a prevailing idea of what I needed to be. But now that I look back on it, of course I didn't, because in my wildest imagination, if anybody had told me then, well, you're going to go have a very long TV career, I would have been like, mm-hmm, and you're clearly <laughs> fallen on your head and are not thinking clearly. There was nothing in my life at the time. And also think about this, Dr. George, this was pre like internet. This was pre YouTube. This was pre, yeah. you know, Instagram and people having followers and it was pre Kardashian, pre Paris Hilton, pre all of that. Nobody was trying to get their own reality TV show. This was at a time that it was so out of 
the realm of possibility that I would go into TV, mm. that there's no way I could have planned or plotted that course. So it made sense that, you know, I'm a firm believer. I've, I have deep faith. I believe that God put it in my path and was yeah. kind of like, listen, kid, yeah. this is the way you're going. And kind of almost took me by the shoulders and like pointed me over here. Cause I was like, no, I'm going over here. <laughs> right. No, you're not. <laughs> Pivot. Yep. There you go. Not in the right look, direction. We all got real good at pivoting. We got so damn tired of the word pivot. Yes. But I was, I, there was a pivot very early on in my career. So now I look back and I see I was the, yeah. the reporter for my school paper. I did the noon hour announcements in my elementary school. I was on the debate team. I was in student government. I mean, it made sense that I was going to talk for a living, right? That that's your was, gift. That was my gift and that I love people and that I would engage with people and I would help yeah. them tell their stories. Like it now it all makes sense. I mean, you're but talking to people I, at the airport, of course. I mean, you just like, my dude, we've been together 18 years and he still like kind of rolls his eyes. Like, oh, she's going to talk to the bartender again or, oh, she's going to talk to the lady on the plane again. Like, he just he just has given up, understands how it's going to be. You know, <laughs> I can relate. I'm that guy. My wife be like, all right, look. We're like church was over like 10 minutes ago. We really need to get wow. home. <laughs> Time to go. But yeah, so I, you know, I look back at it and I grin because nothing's, you know, nothing's by mistake. Everything has been purposeful. And don't get me wrong. I didn't just kind of like float along. I made decisions. Look, I made the decision to leave Vancouver Island and take a job. Think about this. I'm 27 years old. I had been married. I had a very short marriage and divorce, kind of a traumatic situation, needed to start fresh. I took a job in San Francisco. So I, I left my country. Yeah. I left my family. I left everybody that I knew in the world. Yeah. I didn't know a soul and moved to San Francisco. And by the way, I know people that have done that from farther afield yeah. and, you know, for more dire reasons, I made the choice. I didn't have to leave, but it was still kind of like, wow, I don't think I could do that at this age. But at 27, I was brave and gutsy and terrified. And I was wondering, what do you think damn better? The strength, ability, courage at 27. Well, I almost wonder if I was just too dumb to know. <laughs> Sometimes we are. I think I was definitely informed of like, I got to press reset. I remember I had, I did pragmatically sit down and say, okay, this has got to change. I've done everything I can at this local TV station. I got to go. I got to do something different. I'm going to apply to a bunch of jobs. So I was back in the day. You couldn't just send somebody a link of your work or even send them like a DVD or a, a thumb, not a thumb drive of your work. Yeah, yeah. You had to, you know, you had to send VHS tapes. <laughs> so I had, a hundred VHS tapes wow. and my headshot and my resume. And I mailed those to every place. Wow. MTV Latino, Medford, Oregon. I think I applied for a job in Guam. I was literally like, let's just go. Hey, you believed and I'm going to see what, what lands. Yeah. Well, and then on the other side, I was like, okay, so either I'll do TV or I'll go work for the Peace Corps or oh. go build for Habitat for Humanity. Yeah. And I start, I did a bunch of applications for that stuff. And I was like, let's see what comes up first. And TV came up first. Wow. So I'm just inspired by everything you said. And, you know, I could relate, you know, when I think back on, you know, a little bit of my journey 
in high school, I used to do, I was a floor manager for like our morning news. And then, yes, I was. And then I moved to the the desk. Can you please provide the photo? I sent you the photo at the desk. I moved from the floor manager to being on at the desk, talking, you know, sharing the morning news at my high school. Big promotion. That's a big promotion, fella. Right. You know, I moved on up. And then to think about how media informing folks has just been a part of my life and to the work that, you know, that you and I have been able to do. And that I honestly is what grounds me when I'm like, ah, I don't know, maybe it's time. I'm like, it's been consistent. Like as much as whenever I pull away, I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. Comes another opportunity. And it just sounds like that's what happened. It really has. Like guiding your career to all the things you've done. Either felt like, I mean, leaving San Francisco, I remember, and this, I mean, there's just, there are lessons along the way. I had girlfriends that I co-anchored with and one was going off to CNN. One was going off to MSNBC and there I sat and there I sat. Mm. I couldn't leave because I had a work visa tied to that job. And so I had to like get my papers in order and figure out what to do. But I remember it was so hard, right? We've all been there, especially as a young person, seeing people achieve your dreams or surpass you or whatever. And it was such a good reminder to me. It was such a good lesson. And it reminded me of being a sprinter in college or in high school rather. And my coach would get on me about running my own best race. Yes. Don't worry so much about, yeah, you want to beat them, but you have to run your best race. And I had to really put those blinders on and know that what my path was, was my path. Mm -hmm. Their path wasn't mine and mine wasn't there. Right. And so in time, it would come that, you know, I would get a, I got the, my dream job at KTLA in Los Angeles and I was there for nine years. Nice. And then I remember looking down the barrel of a, of 10 years at KTLA. And I thought, I think there's, I got more in my tank. There's more that I want to do. Yeah. And that's when I ended up going to CNN and going to New York. I, they came to me and enticed me to at 40 something, 42, I think <laughs> I moved out to New York, which who does that? You do. But I did. And you crushed it. <laughs> I, I, it was remarkable. And then even then, figuring out when it was time for me to come back home. And that was a tough decision. It was a different time in my life decision, yeah. too. My parents are getting older. I want to spend time with them. Yeah. Being in New York and getting to British Columbia would take like, it felt like a day and a half to get there. Yeah. Whereas in LA, I could feasibly do my show, get on a plane and be home by dinner time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that kind of was a an obvious choice for me to come back to the West Coast. But it's always that, like you said, that check in, and then you make the right decision with good intention, and an opportunity rises up, or I you create that. your own opportunity. I love how you know I can hear you know your drive and your faith, your willingness to just try, and I think the center of it all, right, family, right, that yeah. your connection to family kind of is grounded you to say like, okay, that's what allowed you to to go launch and do your thing and then also to come back. So I know that you've also made some transitions recently. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up folks, you know, some few questions. And one of them is like, what are you up to now? What is it that you want to do or want to be connected to? Well, I've been really examining what I want the next chapter of my life to look like. Right. And I, I talked before about that grind. You know, I'm 52 now. I want this next chapter to look different. I do. I want to be more in the driver's seat of what I'm doing. I want to do things that really just make my heart pound and that 
that are really in alignment with who I am in trying to fit into, instead of trying to fit into somebody else's mold. So I'm kind of building a bit of a portfolio of, of things that I like. I'm exploring different sides of me that I haven't allowed myself, giving myself permission, like you said, to explore different parts of me that I haven't either allowed myself to access or I've limited myself from seeing doing a little bit of writing, exploring a podcast idea. I've got a a TV project that I'm kind of noodling over. So it's, you know, I'm not done. It's interesting. Somebody say, well, happy retirement. I was like, first of all, stop it. Right. (laughs) Uh, No. You're going to take that words back. (laughs) Right. And, and then a a lot of people in LA is like, we miss you in LA. I'm in LA. I'm not leaving LA unless a project takes me away periodically, but this is always going to be my home base and I'm not done. I'm just going to reconfigure how it looks. That's really important to me in this next chapter. You know, and first, I never thought you was retiring. Thank uh, you. <laughs> but I love your intentionality, right? And like you are so incredible in the way that you do your work and your your gift and talent in it. And like I said, I've I've been fortunate enough to be interviewed by lots of folks like from day one, we felt like we were family. It was and, awesome. And, and it for me, it allowed me just to be my full self with energy and information yeah. versus some other people. You know, it's not always that way. And so your voice is so important and the way you carry and share. So I'm excited about what you are you. doing and will be doing. And, and I think it's going to be great. For any budding broadcast journalist out there or any any storyteller out there, you know, it's a bit like playing tennis with somebody who's slightly better than you. It ups your game. I feel like I set the tone for the guests that I'm interviewing. If I'm there and naturally curious and warm, and it, by the way, that just happens to be who I am. But if I bring that best part of me out and forward, it's going to bring that best part of them as well. It's going to relax them. Look, being interviewed, it's always a little nerve wracking. I was even a little nervous and I love you. I can talk to anybody and I don't mind Zoom at all. But yeah. Ivan was like, well, am I going to sound stupid? Am I going to say something? But you, the, the person yeah. talking with you immediately puts you at ease, then it's going to be a great interview. Yeah, I, and 100% done that every time. And that's how I know, like, you know, that your transition is going to be, you know, one of, another leap for you, right? Another significant moment. And also brave on some level, where, you know, when we look, you know, individuals like yourself who are on TV or been on TV for many years, to step away from is almost like, oh, no, people, how did you people, do that? I think there's some people that thought I was crazy. I think there are viewers that have felt abandoned. And I even went through a moment like that. And I, I won't take up all the time. I know you've got to wrap this up. We were at an event a couple months ago before I had, I had announced that I was leaving. And some of the people there were like, it was so beautiful. I mean, they... They just said beautiful things to me. You bring out the best in us, Michaela. You you show the best in us. You we just love how you show your heart. Like this really beautiful compliments. And I went to my seat and I just felt like I'm abandoning these people. Yeah, yeah. I'm le- I'm abandoning them. And yeah. then I stopped myself and I said, no, no, you're going to figure out how to serve them in a different way. Yeah. Because by the way, the one massive, massive truth that my parents have implanted on my soul is a spirit of service. Yeah. Always. Always. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And, you know, for me, actually, you know, just recently, I made a decision to make a pivot from 
what was my anchor full-time job to now fully being 100% out on my own. And Congratulations. I started to like, you know, let people know this, put it out. And it is those the thing, right? Going through those emotions of like what it feels like. And, you know, am I disappointed? Am I letting some other people down? And, you know, the thing that r- continues to ring true is, you know, what you're saying, like about mission, about purpose, but also about you got to love those yourself and those that you are have care for <laughs> first. Totally. And that's what, you know, is that that's who I'm first responsible for and then everybody else. And I I think that's, you know, what I see in your choice and your decision that, you know, you being back on the West Coast so that you can be connected to family or taking this next move so that you can do the things that are fulfilling and more in the driver's seat that allows you the things that you want to do. It's just incredible. And I love it. Thank you. You know, as much as we need to do it for ourselves. It is really, it really is wonderful to get that kind of validation from a friend. It really is. Thank you. Well, well, you give it to me and I give it back to you. So it's easy. I like it. It's a reciprocal <laughs> relationship. <laughs> so you've worked with tons of people, connected yeah. to lots of people over the years. I'm wondering, is there anyone that you would want to work with or collab with as you think forward? And it could be anybody. Who, oh gosh, there's tons. I mean, there's tons. I mean, there's tons and tons and tons. You know, it's, I'm very much a person that, how do I put this? I remember when I was moving to New York, my best friend was having a hard time with the fact, she was so proud of me taking this big leap, going to the top. Like I considered going to CNN and, and New York, my like personal Everest, professional Everest, right? Yeah. And I had to really show her and not just say to her that when you are in my heart, you're always in my heart. Yeah. Like just because I move across the country doesn't mean you're not my best friend anymore. And like, you're with me. I take people like I still am friends with the people in my very first job at Czech television in Victoria in 19, like in 1997 or 98, no, 96. I don't even know what years in the nineties. Right. Right. I'm friends with people I worked at at tech TV. I performed some of their wedding ceremonies. I had lunch with my girlfriends from KTLA just this past week. I am texting with my CNN producers and friends all the time. I collect people. Yes, I collect them. And so I do that also professionally. I keep in the back of my mind the people that I'm like, "Mm -hmm." for example, my executive producer at HLN, that was the third time he had been my executive producer. He'd been my executive producer up in San Francisco. He'd been my executive producer for a while at KTLA. And then he did a term with me at HLN. I remember who I connect with and vibe with. And I'm all, when I'm thinking of next projects, I'm always like, mm, mm-hmm. I want that person. Mm-hmm. I want that because that person has that gift. I need yes. that person. They're very good at divining this. There's, you know, here's somebody I'd like to do TV with. You know, I think about that all the time. And there's even anchors on the air here. The gal that replaced me at KTLA, Jessica Holmes, one of my dearest friends, I would give my left arm to do TV with her again. Kelvin Washington is a cat that works at Spectrum here in LA, and he is unbelievably talented. Allie McKay is one of my dearest friends. She's doing a podcast. She used to be on radio here in LA on the Kevin and Bean show, but she is doing a podcast with one of them now on Patreon. And I would like it's like Mikhail and friends. We go That's to- right. That's right. <laughs> but I just I dream about that. I think it would be fun. It would be fun. I love no. that. And look, and I totally and you know, when you said that like collection of friends, I feel like that that's how I feel like that about myself. <laughs> like the one thing I feel like I I mean, there's lots of things that I feel like I'm good at, but one thing is that I will make you my friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> you will be my friend. Oh and my that's God. it. That's where we are. Yeah. We're going to stay we, there. Yes. And I, there. like how we started my shift. Yes. Will be, be, and so a, to I'm a that. total hugger. And you haven't experienced that because we got to know each other virtually. It, we will, though. We will. We will. I'm a total hugger. And I give a, I have to, I'm going to boast. It's not like me very much to boast, but I will. I'm a very good hugger. I give a great hug. And I have this friend who does not like to be hugged. (laughs) He loves me. And so I just like envelop him. (laughs) Come here. And I'm convinced in my head, look, I respect people's personal space. And I respect that some people don't respond to touch. I really do get it. He and I have been friends for like 15 years. And so it's, it's a symbiotic it's part of my way of torturing him, but it's also like, you're going to like this. Hug yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you like it. Just come on. You know, you like, just give in. So the last two questions I like to ask people is, starts off with first, how would you define mental wellness? Peace. I would define it. I can feel it. I yeah. can feel it. It feels like peace and tranquility. It feels like vibrancy, right? It feels like wholeness. It feels supported. You know, we talked a lot about having that yes. circle around yeah. you, right? It's interesting because I feel it in my body now, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't know that I was mentally well over the summer. I think I was having my own challenges as I was ma- building up to leave my job, understanding what was at play there. I went to a really dark place and I'm not feeling that now I'm standing in the light. I feel whole. I feel connected to myself and to my spirit and to my loved ones. I feel seen and heard. I feel at peace. I am well. I love that. I can feel it. I can see it. I can hear it. And I think that, you know, peace is just such a great way to describe it and all the things that embody it and how sometimes we are not at peace and we are not well. Sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes we don't acknowledge it or admit it. But then to be able to acknowledge it and then to know when when we are is so great. Well, and that's why I answered it the way you did. And I wanted to really feel it in my body because I know there'll be times yeah. that come that will be hard yeah. and I'll struggle. And I want to remember what it felt like in my body when I was at peace so that I can access that again. Yeah. I often try to encourage people to think about and do what you're saying, to remember the time when it was working, when it felt good, when you were energized. And can you come back to that moment? Can you you make a milestone, a marker, or some way that you can revisit that so that you know this is when it was good, when I was on, when I was amazed, when I was at peace, when I was in love, and then we can come right back to it. Last question. Go ahead. I have a favorite playlist on Pandora. It's Mm. my gospel channel. And just this morning was jamming to Trouble Don't Last Always. (laughs) Wait, wait. Like the Milton Brunson all the way back? Not that the newer version. Okay. But I was like, yeah, that's a good reminder for us in those times because times are troubled. I know. This is, please understand. That, you know, this cheery disposition and this light and and joy, I am very well aware the pain and the strife and the economy and the get all of the things. But I also believe that there is a beautiful garden outside my window Mm -hmm. that a hummingbird just flew through. 
that there's somebody out there innovating a brilliant solution for drought, for fixing the economy, finding a way to get more children through school and succeed and thrive. There are people out there working to find solutions to the problems of the world. Those are the people I choose to want to focus on instead of focusing on the ones that are not doing right, you know? And we have to hold that too. I think sometimes with all the pain and heaviness, we can't dismiss it, which is what oh. you know I hear you saying, but sometimes we don't also hold yes. the light, the positivity, yes. the innovation, yes. the hope. And so I'm glad that you share Look, that. It, it's a purposeful thing. I was telling you about yeah. the podcast I'm listening today that is really, it's heavy and it's hard, but I need to bear witness to something that happened. I need to do that for my sisters, for my family, for my nation. And also just as a citizen of this world. But I also need to go out and, you know, put my hands in the garden and smell the flowers, right? Like it is always about finding a balance. It really is. And I love that. So one of my last questions is what mental wellness advice would you give to your younger self? Mm. Yesterday or any time in the past? I'd first off give her a hug and tell her she's going to be okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That just actually choked me up because I went through some, I went through some tough stuff. I went through some tough stuff and I felt very, I remember thinking that this was the way, this can't be the way my life is going to be. This can't be, this can't be. I didn't feel penalized. I didn't feel like I deserved it or, you know, Maybe some of why me, but I remember, I remember just feeling so worried and afraid and to the point where that all of that was, you know, working into migraines and ulcers and, you know, the physical manifestations of that stress. And I would just hug her and tell her you're going to be okay. Right. First of all. And then I'd probably tell her to go walk in the forest or go sit by the ocean. I, uh, my spirit has always been soothed by being on the water, by the water, in yes. the water. Um, <laughs> and honestly, like, I think that that is such a great recalibration for me. I would also tell her to talk to someone, talk to mm. her sister, talk to her mother, talk to her neighbor, talk to someone. You don't have to do this alone, honey. We don't expect you to figure it out by yourself. That's right. And then I'd pour a nice cup of tea and wrap her up in a little blanket on the sofa Mm. and rub her feet while she just kind of cried it out. Yeah. Oh, I could totally see that. So many of us could use that hug, right? So many of us could use that hug now, but definitely in the past. And even the thoughts of it's going to be okay. You know, I think about hard and challenging moments. For me, I think about just caring for my parents while they both were actively sick and going to school and raising my kids with my wife. And moments were like, you know, it's going to be okay. What would you say? What would you say to you in the heart of all of that while you're juggling all of those plates, big plates spinning in the air and you're trying to keep them all from falling? I think a few, I've thought about because I was in the midst of like, the moments that you can still see them as people and enjoy yeah. that but like now I, I could hear my mother's voice right and that would have been the moment where like okay 
She's not all the way full in the, you know, yeah. Alzheimer's where she it might still be able to talk. Totally yet. Right, yeah. right. I can maybe get some of that now, right? Or just, you know, I'm in a strong place of appreciation to them. And I think that would be part of it. And I think also what I've said in this is the thought of some of the things that you think are not going right or are really distortions, right? Mm -hmm. It's not enough or it's not this or whatever. When I look back, I'm like, oh, it was bad, right? Like it was hard, it was challenging, but it wasn't as bad as I thought yeah. and as I felt. Yeah. It was yeah. more distorted. And if I could remember that, which I try to practice now, is that, all right, I got to figure this out because it's not maybe as bad as I'm making it out to be. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. You know, I'm not one to look back often because I'm a forward thinking person for sure. And I don't live with regrets, but I think there's great value and great healing, you know, in giving yourself permission to go back and say, hey, you did a good job yeah. caring for mom, dad. Yeah. Yeah. You did a good job loving them through that, that yeah. process of their lives. You know, you were there. You cared for them. It, yeah. There's value in it. I think there we is. need to do it a bit more. And I've had to, I've had to give myself permission to do that because it could always be the moments of, oh, I could have done this or I should have done right. that. Right. Should have done this more. Should have, yeah. But the yeah. moments of just being able to say, which is where I land, is that I was a good son to them. Yeah. That's it. Really All right. Care. That I cared and served them and loved them, and I know that they loved and cared for me, and yeah. I can be at peace with that, right? Like yeah. I would have loved them to see their grandchildren or grow with them, but I'm at peace knowing that they gave me love, that I'm able to love my kids. So, so there's ways yeah, that it, exactly. it keeps going. And so those are the things that I think about. I appreciate so much you joining me, you sharing, and you know, you're just so awesome. And I you love, are so awesome. I love <laughs> that our paths cross. Me too. And that, it, and that I look forward to doing more with you. I'm actually yeah. going to be in LA coming up. And so I'm like, I'm Without like, world. Hey, let's go have some time. Let's hang out. I would love it. You uh, let me know. You I, let me I will know. definitely let you know. And so before we end, last thing is any last thoughts you want to share? Without? Oh, everybody just take care of yourselves. There's a lot of stuff that's coming up, I think from the, you know, the after effects of the pandemic and just be kind to yourself, go easy on others. We're going to get through this part of it too. And uh, we're going to be okay. Be yeah. good to one another. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, Michaela, thank you so much. You are, like I said, so awesome. I love you. I love what you're doing. I love your presence. And I love your impact for so many folks. And I think like, you know, so many takeaways from today. And one of them is just the thought of family is what we choose and what we decide. Yeah. And if we lean into it, our ancestry just becomes larger. It just, it we are surrounded by those people. Now too, right? Yes. yes. I love it. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It was such a delight. I even put on makeup for you today, George. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. I really you appreciate it. Well, brother. That. You take you care. Have a great, uh, great day and we'll talk. Okay. Be well. Bye-bye. Wow. What an incredible ride we just went on with another great member of the Leapcast community. I appreciate you listening and hope you got some tangible value from the episode. Please let us know what you think by leaving a comment, rating, and review. As always, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Dr. George James, and I'll see you next time.